Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Thank you, Thompsons. Taylor, way to, way to teach your kids how to read, man. They're great. Yeah. You take no credit. Yeah, they should just start reading every week for us. Well, hey, welcome to Advent. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews that is in the New Testament, even though it feels like the entire book is writing about the Old Testament. So it feels like it shouldn't be there. But uh, we are going to be talking about that today. Last week, we talked about uh, in our season of Advent, the idea of Jesus being this prophet who gives us hope, and that he fulfills uh, everything that God said he would do, and, uh, and that we get excited about that, and that hope culturally is not a, a very big value in a world of, of, like, I have to see it to believe it, and I have to, and hope is for kids, and, uh, but we talked last week, I think a lot of you felt this deep, just um, enjoyment and reverence for what hope can feel like for us in light of government, in light of the world, in light of our lives, that Jesus really is our hope. And so today we're talking about peace. And uh, I know all four words are great. They all have great value. But man, peace feels to me like the antidote to just the chaos that is the world around us right now. Or in your life. I mean, man, I don't think there's one of you that it couldn't be like, yeah, I have chaos. Whether it's in my physical life, my priorities, the things I'm doing, my brain, my mental health, my depression, my... You know, my family, my, the world, like chaos is everywhere. Uh, and maybe it's just me because I have toddlers, so it really is true. Chaos is literally everywhere. There are stains on every area of our house. Um, and it's so funny because we got a newer couch recently, and I was like, maybe this will not be stained. And within two weeks, it is just destroyed. So we only have one more kid. We just make it through that. Yeah. Um, and, but chaos, right? It's, and it's, it's not even always physical. It's just this spirit sense of our souls are not at rest. Uh, like, a good example is you just sit in complete silence, and you're just getting uneasy. You're like, uh, I need to do something. It needs to be music. I need to go numb myself. Like, I cannot let myself be alone with my thoughts. Uh, and it, that's just a small little case study of, like, many ways that we are just not at peace. And peace in the Bible, peace with a, uh, a Jewish culture would use the word shalom. If you've heard the word shalom... Shalom is, is so, so much to use in the Jewish culture that it's oftentimes an introduction. So you would say, like, shalom, shalom, like, peace, everlasting peace. And that's, that's what you would say. Uh, the, I love this, what uh, Lisa Sharon Harper says about shalom. She says, shalom is what the kingdom of God smells like. It's what the kingdom of God looks like, and it's what Jesus requires of its kingdom citizens. And so for us as a people who follow Jesus and those who maybe are on the fence or aren't sure, Peace is absolutely at the forefront of who we are as people. If we are not a people of peace in all sorts of ways, I'll get into that, then we are not following our rabbi. If the aura of peace is not among us, then we are not following the way of Jesus. And uh, this is convictional, not only to you, to me, If we're, this is like an intervention for all of us today. Uh, happy holidays. And, uh, and man, are we just failing in, in so many different ways. Um, I just... I mean, I mean, I don't know all of your life stories. I don't know all of you deeply. I know a lot of you deeply. But there, none of you are untouched by chaos and, and are struggling to find peace 
in, in some certain way. And so what I want to do today is I want to read Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 is, is going to talk about this idea of Jesus as our great high priest. Last week was a prophet. This week is priest. Next week is king. And this high priest idea, and we're going to talk about how that provides peace in our life. But what I want to make sure to be clear of is in the first century Jewish world, the way they thought of your spiritual self, it was just all one. Your soul is, is everything combined. And, and nowadays, we, we kind of we start to create a kind of a separate understanding, like my soul is just my feelings or my heart or my spiritual self, but then my body is kind of this different thing. And that is true in a lot of realities. Like we have a physical reality that maybe doesn't match the spiritual, or we're, we're dealing with something spiritually that can't be explained physically. That is true. But the interplay of those two things are incredibly important. And what I'm going to argue with this passage is that they are incredibly important with peace, meaning that you can be at peace with your soul, but the rest of your life be absolute chaos. You can have chaos with your life, but still have this deep chaos in your soul. And you, those of you who struggle with anxiety, depression, know that to be true, because you can clear your schedule for a week, and you still might have some serious anxious thoughts in your brain, right? You can have a day off and not have to do anything, and you're almost, I, I had this yesterday where Sarah, we were taking a break, and it was our saver day, and I had an hour to myself, and it was actually worse. I spiraled. I was like, I have 17 things I need to do, none of which are going to get done on time. And I had to sit in the mess of all of them not being done, and I couldn't do it. And I was a jerk. And she's like, you need more time. So she gave me more time. She's great. And I ice cream fixed it. But um, <laughs> there's a new ice cream place in Grandview. Um, and uh, stay on track, Trey. And, but it's just true, right? Like, it just, there's so much intertwined. And we, we, I feel like we have this... This scale, like we fight for one area of peace and we lose the other, and it's just chaos. Is, and, then, and then let's just say you're like, Trey, I'm, I'm pretty at peace right now in all areas of my life. But then you're just surrounded by chaos. Like every, everyone around you's life is just on fire, or your job is not a great workplace, or you're the, you, you want to go look at the country or, or the world, you'll find chaos there, right? So it's just like everywhere I go is chaos, whether it's myself, whether it's my friends, whether it's the people around me. And I'm here to tell you that followers of Jesus should put so much of our energy and effort and thoughts into how do we become people of peace. We're going to start off with who is the person of peace that we, that we receive, but then I'm going to move on later to a little bit of a practical way for us to engage in peace. If you were listening uh, to the Thompson's reading, they were reading a part of Hebrews uh, 4, but we, they started a little bit later, and I want to do that on purpose, but the context before that is this idea of God's promised rest. If you read like the top of chapter 4, and I'm going to give you a spoiler. What God's rest is in this book is synonymous with salvation. Salvation means deliverance of. And uh, in this terms, the Hebrew writer is saying, look, God's plan for redemption in your life and for rest is salvation. It's all the same thing. When God rests on the seventh day of creation, he's resting and he's delivering. I mean, metaphorically, God himself is not struggling, but he's delivering the, the, the work and production and the machine. He's delivering it and just resting. You can't rest without work, right? It wouldn't make any sense. And so what he's saying is there's this deep-seated longing in our souls to be at rest and, and that we work and we produce and we, we are chaotic and we're anxious and, and that salvation in many ways is just simply rest for our souls. It's shalom. And shalom at its essence is more, more so about relationship than it is about feeling, meaning that when I'm shalom with someone, it means our relationship is in really good health. It's righteous. It's right standing. It doesn't have any issues or errors or blotches, right? It's healthy. And last week we talked about how shalom is between God and between all people, right? If we want peace in the world, we've got to have peace between God and the sins of ourselves affect the sins of the world, all that kind of stuff. Today, if we want peace, 
we have to think about it as entering into a state of rest spiritually. If you are tired today, uh, we're going to give you the, the, the antidote for, for, for tiredness, for chaos, uh, in, in peace. And verse 11 says this. It says, Thus we must make every effort to enter into that rest. The rest is that salvation. So that no one may fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. Now, I don't know about you, the pattern of disobedience in our world is constant movement. It's constant growing in the ladder. It's constant chaos. It's constant uh, money. It's, it's just constant, right? Constant stimulation. You name it. It's a pattern of disobedience that people think that they don't need to rest. They're too good for rest. They don't need a day off, right? I don't need to sit and I got to get things done. I'm only here for so long. I got to grind it out. That is a pattern of disobedience. And so what the Hebrews writer says is, uh, which is so counterintuitive, make every effort to enter that rest. You're like, that's not how that works, Trey. When I want rest, I take a nap, I fall on the couch, and it's over, right? What do you mean make effort? You shouldn't have to make effort to rest. However, I would say those of you who take a savor day or use Sabbath, my gosh, is it effort to get to that day. If on Sunday afternoon we're like, hey, we're going to Sabbath Friday or Saturday or whatever, uh, the rest of the days around that week must be facilitated so that that day can happen. If you wake up on Friday and you're like, let's just Sabbath tomorrow, it's not going to happen. You're going to wake up on Saturday morning and you're like, ooh, got to do the leaves, got to do the dishes, got to run some errands, got to do my taxes. Like, you just fill it up. And that's not, that's not Sabbath. That's just work moved over into another bucket of your life, right? So for us to rest as people of Jesus, it is, it is incredibly hard and it takes effort. And a lot of us don't want the effort. We just want to rest. We just want to fall asleep on the couch and be like, I rested. And I'm, I'm sorry to say it's not that simple. And it wasn't that simple for the Jewish people. But God uh, is using this illustration of our lack of ability for our souls and our physical reality to rest as an understanding of, of the gospel, of the good news. Because the next verse is one that maybe you've heard. It's far more popular, but it's very rarely known in this context. It says, Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow, it is able to judge the desires and the thoughts of the heart, and no creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. Most people read this passage just sort of on its own, like the Bible's true, it'll pierce your heart, which is very true. But what the context of this is talking about is it's talking about you in light of your disobedience to rest. Meaning when you read the Bible, you should have this deep conviction of like, am I resting? Am I living a life of rest in God in, in lots of areas? And, and the point of this is that, you know, no one is, no one's out of this. Everyone's guilty. Every creature is brought before God naked, meaning your, your, think, your, your thoughts, your desires, your heart, your, your deeds are brought before God and we're going to try and hide them. We're going to try and cover up. We're going to try and, and, and play a game with God. And he's like, you're not going to hide from me. The word of God will cut you right to your core. It will separate the reality of the, what you think you're living and what you're actually living. And the disobedience of the world is not resting. It's just consuming and moving and moving. And so when we put all this together and we talk about, man, what does it look like to enter rest, how to find peace, how to find shalom, how to go against the way of the world, this is where then verse 13, 14 comes, where we were reading. It says, therefore, verse 14. Now, my Bible teacher always said, if you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to find out what it's there for. How about that? Pretty good, right? That'll preach. So write that down. I don't know. It could be on a T-shirt. But now we know what it's there for, right? Therefore, since you guys are going to be naked and exposed before God, with, with which whom you can 
and you can't present yourself like you're like, look at me, God. He's going to see everything of you. And therefore, since you can't hide, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us then hold fast to our confession, meaning we acknowledge where we're at. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace wherever, whenever we need help. So he's saying, if you want rest and you want to not fall in the path of disobedience, you're going to be made, made naked before God and you're going to have to just let go, right? Part of like the first half of peace, man, I'm not in control. This is like in, in AA, an in, in adage in, in the, in the commu- um, alcoholics community and, and addiction community is like, you're not in control, right? Like, there's a higher power. You've got to let go. And a lot of us really struggle with that. We might let go to things we like, are proud of and want to show off, but then there's like all these things we're holding on to. And to find true peace, we just got to be willing to say, okay, God, like, I can't hide anymore. Here I am. Whew. And then we hope and trust that God does what he says he'll do and not something else, like take advantage of us or abuse us or, or think less of us or whatever, right? And, uh, and we do that. And it says, man, look, you got a throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace whenever you need it, and you can confidently approach that. That's the start of, of peace. That's the start of peace. Now, it gets into the Old Testament here. This is, like I said, the Hebrews is really just like rereading the Old Testament summed up in 13 chapters. For those of you who want to speed read the Old Testament and impress people, you could probably just read Hebrews and just act like you know the Old Testament. Uh, but in chapter 5, it says, For every high priest is taken from among the people and appointed to represent them before God to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He is able, this high priest, is able to deal compassionately with those who are ignorant and erring since he himself is also subject to weakness. And for this reason, then, he's obligated to make sin offerings for himself as well as for the people. And no one assumes this honor on his own initiative, but only when called to it by God, and in fact, as Aaron was. So the writer of Hebrews say, hey, let's find rest. We all are not capable. We all have to approach the throne of grace. Here's why this throne of grace matters, and here's what it is. Now, for us, it's really hard in chapter 5 to be, like, so excited because we're like, we know the Jesus story. We're, we're, we're good. But if you're in exile for a few hundred years or you're like hundreds of years waiting for this Messiah to come, this is massive news for you because you've been living your life around a calendar which constantly dictated the necessity of atonement of your sin and most times obsessing about the purity of where you found yourself in light of all of that. It also required a yearly pilgrimage. It also required money. It also required, you know, so much energy and that's where this high priest is explaining, look, this is where a high priest comes from. A high priest comes from the line of Aaron and a Levite, and they are chosen by God, and they are the representative of the entire nation of Israel and the people who are sinning having no idea and the people who are sinning being led astray. And they have these sacrifices. There's several different ones, but the main one is the Day of Atonement once a year. They, uh, they, they'd slaughter a lamb, right, and they would take the blood, give it to in the Holy of Holies with the high priest going in, and that was what made it right. Something had to die in order for life to be preserved. And that was the life of a Jewish person. And so the rest of your year was keeping track and making sure that you weren't, you know, ritually unclean, that you could keep participating in the, the blood of the lamb and that these sacrifices and things would, would atone for your shalom with God. And that's the point. The point, people forget, the, like, the, oh, the law is so hard, so heavy, so terrible. The law in the Old Testament was shalom all the time. So the, the sacrifices created right relationship, shalom in that moment. The law was the rest of the time. 
The point of the law was to keep you in right relationship with God and right relationship with others. And that was the ministry that then not only they engaged with and they were creating this heaven on earth, right, through the, the, the tribe of uh, the group of Israel, but everyone else in the world was supposed to be like, I want that. Whatever that is, I want it. I'll do whatever. I don't care. They got it. The Israelites got it right. That didn't go well, as we know. They failed at the law. They struggled to, uh, to follow these laws, to really even care about them, and then they didn't even keep those. They would literally create others. They would go way off course, right? All bad. So Hebrews is saying, we have these high priests, and they have done this thing, and there's three components to what, he, what they're explaining here. The first one is the effectiveness. The priest's effectiveness was to atone of the sin, to the sacrifice, and it says here that they would deal gently with the ignorant and those going astray. What this means, we, we, we really, this is a tough phrase. We don't always interpret this correctly. What it means is the people who don't really care or the people who are sinning and don't realize it, those people were not a part of this process. And so if you were aware, like I sin, whatever, you go through the process, they have a whole other thing for those people. And so what it's saying is the, the, the most that the priest can do for those people is to basically not be angry at them. They just have to be like, look, I'm a sinner too. They're a sinner. I got to have compassion. I'm going to do this thing for them. That was, the, that was the least they could do. It was like, well, I kind of get it, so I will, I will partake in helping them be atoned of their sin. The second piece is the humanity aspect, that they are also human. The high priest is a human who also sins, is also capable of sin. Just like me, I am no, I'm not void of any sin. Unlike you guys, like I am just like any of you. I sin, I make mistakes. I am not always in right relationship with God in terms of sin. However, the blood of Jesus covers you, covers me, right? Like that is, we all believe... In that same way, there's no higher levels or lower levels. And then lastly, the third thing is sacrifice. And it says, because of all this, then the result is something must die in order for life to continue. The sin must be, uh, it costs something. And so that was the point of then sacrifice. And so that was, that was the way the Jewish people lived every year. For us, we're like I said, we just don't even care because we're like, it doesn't even have anything to do with me. Like it just, it's so hard to understand that our entire year could be dictated by all this. So it's very hard for us to care. But in verse 5, then the writer brings in Christ, the ultimate high priest. He says, so also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming high priest. Just like Aaron was chosen by God, it says that the one who glorified him was God. And he said to him, you are my son today, I have fathered you Another place it says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was another priest at the time, really well known. And he's like, I'm calling you into taking that role, to being a part of that lineage of high priests. And this, this closes then in verse 7 through 9, where he describes Jesus' ability as a high priest as opposed to just a normal high priest. And he says in verse 7, during his earthly life, Christ offered both requests and supplications, prayers basically, with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his devotion. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And by being perfected in this way, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And he was designated by God as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, there's a lot going on in this passage. But what the, the writer is doing is he's, taking, he's comparing and contrasting the original high priest, its purpose, and what Jesus has done and fulfilled in our lives and in these Jewish people. That's why it's such a big deal. The first thing, the effectiveness, right? The normal high priest could just deal in the gentlest way, be like, uh, I'm just not going to be angry at them and help atone their sin. Jesus, though, man, he runs to those people. He, he finds deep joy and satisfaction in meeting those messy, ignorant, wayward people. 
and drawing them back into the love of the Father. He, he is like, that is like number one in this job description and most excited about. And he doesn't do it because he's like, ugh. He does it because he gets it. Because number two, he also is human. He also has experienced temptation. He also knows what it's like to be in your shoes. He knows what it's like to struggle in the world of chaos because, man, did he live in a world of chaos. He knows what it's like to be a human and be tired and have to take a nap. <laughs> he knows what it's like to... To, uh, to, to cry out to the Lord asking for something and, and, and just trusting that God is good. I mean, his last few prayers are like, Lord, could you take this cup from me? But if not, okay, right? Just petitioning and being devoted to the will of the Father. And we ultimately know the last part is the sacrifice. The high priest would sacrifice something in, in, in order to remove the sin. Jesus himself is not only the high priest, but he is the sacrifice, that he is willing to not only understand your life and to understand the depravity of the world and the chaos and to step into it and endure through it and to show us how to live in it, but also willing to die because of the messiness and chaos of the world. And that's why Jesus is the greatest high priest. He gets it. If you like to summarize it, it's just like he gets it. He, he was not up in the clouds like a Santa Claus, more God-like version of him, you know, with le- not a red suit, but like a white robe and just being like, I'm going to come down and be angry sometimes, and I'm going to come down and I'm going to bless sometimes, and we'll just see how it goes, right? That he entered into our world, and then he engaged with the mundane and the hardships and the joys, and he cried and he laughed just like any of us, and he, he sees us in all of that. He can empathize with us, and he is not above us, but he is present among us. And so this gives us this idea of spiritual peace that I was talking about, that Jesus is our great high priest and that in that he gives us the peace that we desperately crave. But, but, we just pause here. If you take that thought right now and you're like, you're already like, man, that feels great. I feel at peace. Then you get up out of this, this room and you leave the doors and then boom, your life is just like hits you in the face, right? Oh, I got to get somewhere today. I got to do all these things. Got to go to lunch. Got to this, got to that. I got to do this week. I'm nervous about that. Like it just hits you. And you ask yourself how how am I able to be at peace in this moment spiritually, but then the rest of my life is chaos? And so many of us live like this. That's why a lot of us, like, some of us just love church and, and, and because we feel at peace because we're kind of, it feels like a reprieve from the world and, like, the chaos, and you can just sit and just relax. Some of you with kids, you're like, I can just sit without my kids for an hour. That's great, right? But it's just this peace, but it doesn't last or it doesn't, it doesn't seep into then the rest of my life. And this is Jesus's, heart and narrative in his entire ministry is, I have peace for you and your soul, but I also have peace for you in your life. This is why Jesus didn't just show up 30 and get killed on the cross and then die for our sins and it's done. No, he gave us chapters and chapters and chapters, right, and years of his life and his ministry showing us that peace is not just an idea and it's not just a spiritual freedom, but it is a life of freedom and a life of peace. And when you choose to accept the peace that Jesus gives you in your heart, you're also choosing to step up and to walk in the steps of your rabbi and to live the steps that he lived in a life of peace. Now, if you look at this, I mean, if you just do a quick, like, summary of the ministry of Jesus in peace, one of his first statements in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 is, blessed are the peacemakers. Those people get front entrance into the kingdom, the people who are at peace. Then his teaching in Matthew 13, one of our, one of our favorite passages, just the, the idea of his yoke is light, his burden is easy, and it's to give you rest. Rest for your weary, weary souls, rest for your lives. John 14, one of the final messages he leaves with the disciples is, hey, 
My goal is to give you peace. I leave peace among you. We know the world's still hard. The world's still chaos from 15 on. But I'm here to bring you peace, spiritual shalom. And then that shalom should transcend a lifestyle of shalom. That's why the Jewish people had the laws. Because shalom in that moment of the sacrifice and the people being made right before God is great and celebratory and a festival. But the rest of the, wor- the, rest of the year, what do you got to do? You have to continue to, to cultivate your life, to follow your rabbi, to live in a shalom, in a life that produces shalom. You know this to be true. The Spirit is, is promoting shalom and peace in your life. But man, there's a lot of things in opposition, and a lot of us are doing the damage to ourselves. A lot of us are living a, lie, a life that has no room for shalom. And so we come here and we take this little meal, and we feel good about the shalom that Jesus offers us, and then the rest of our week, we're just in chaos and then we wonder why Jesus doesn't, I'm like, I just don't get it. He's just not removing all this shalom, or he's not removing all this chaos. I just don't experience shalom. And so in the Jewish culture, it's all one. We don't, they don't separate. They're not like, oh, did you accept Jesus? Okay, well, now you got to live like him. Like, it was the assumption that if he's your Lord, you do everything he says. You immediately follow him. That's why a lot of these stories, Jesus heals someone, and they just keep following him. They're like, well, going to go where my rabbi goes, you know? And sometimes he's like, hey, I don't need you. Or like, you're good. Stay here, you know? But they're like, where do I go next, Right? Thanks for healing my leg. I'm, 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 I'm at peace with, not only physically, but I'm at peace with God because everybody would assume if you were hurt or you had like a leg ailment or blind, it was generational sin or whatever. You're at peace physically. You're at peace spiritually. What do I do next, right? How do I live in this shalom? How do I continue to walk in the way of Jesus? And so that's where we take to this next level. Yes, I hope that in this moment you're experiencing a reminder of the truth of shalom in your life, of peace in what Jesus is doing for your sins, for our sins as a community, for the world, that there's a deep shalom in that. But there's more to it than just the spiritual reality Jesus is bringing us all into. It's all connected. Our nefesh, our soul, is our, our spiritual and our physical. It's our lives. And um, this week I spent some time um, reading statistics. If you ever want to be depressed, just read some statistics about the world right now. But uh, in 2023, it says Americans have spent an average of two hours and 14 minutes a day on social media uh, and a total of seven hours a day on screens. This does include work. Some of you are like, okay, great, I, I get that. Uh, Gen Z having the highest amount at nine hours a day. Good for you, Gen Z. Um, I'm not Gen Z, so I can say that. Um, and, uh, and just, you know, there's tons of stats. I'm just being really simple here. I don't have a lot of time. But, man, the stats about just the addiction of phone, of social media, of just the pace that then that creates in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, the, the, the missing of interconnectedness we feel because of it. And so here's, I just want to, you, you know a lot of this. I just want to inform you on, here's what the apps and the overall culture of our phones and, our, and, and social media and these things, this is, this, is the, these, this is their manifesto. Though it's not outwardly acknowledged, this is what they're doing. One of the main things they're doing is they're providing legitimate dopamine spikes for certain things that either create or reignite uh, addiction, whether it's shopping, whether it's just feeling good, whether it's numbing, all these things. They're, they're curating content to do that very thing. They're utilizing your emotions to control marketing and sales technique, techniques. I have a neighbor uh, who uh, he works for a large insurance company, and he's like really high up in like the coding, the marketing, weird interplay department. And he was telling me about how they're working on this thing right now. This is their main project. And he's like, basically, the goal is like your TV if you have a smart TV, it's never off. Unless you like unplug it. It's never off. It's always listening. And what, we've, what we're creating is essentially an algorithm that when, when, when a TV hears another insurance company, we have a response to be able to throw up like an ad within like 30 minutes that's better than whatever that is. That's basically what they're doing. 
Um, now, this isn't like with cable, so you're like, cables doing that? No, more just like streaming stuff. But yeah, your TV is constantly listening to you, even when it's off. Uh, that's why you think smart TVs are so cheap. It's free marketing. And, um, and so they're taking your information, and then they are, they're marketing to right, that. They're also listening to you. Your phones are also looking at you. And Ben and Jerry's is marketing to you when you're sad, because they know you'll buy ice cream. And so when you break up, you get divorced, you have an, they know and they will market you ice cream, right? Because like me, ice cream, right? Made me feel better, right? And so they're taking advantage of your emotions. Sales tactics are typically taking advantage of anger and sadness because that's your weakest, most vulnerable state. They're providing a sense of FOMO because that also sells more trips and experiences uh, in a hyper-unrealistic norm of body, money, and more. Uh, they're distracting from quality present relationships by removing your focus and attention almost at every point. Even when you're not on your phone, you're thinking of when you're going to get on your phone. If you notice, your phone will ping you notifications at specific times of the day because they have a record and they know when you're not on your phone and how to engage you in that time. They don't want you off your phone ever. Uh, they're also doing what we know is, this is a, a fascinating chain of research, but talking about decision fatigue, heightening your emotional exhaustion each day. You only make a certain amount of decisions each day, and prior to the light bulb, you're only making a few dozen, a few hundred decisions a day. Now we're making thousands and thousands. Every time we scroll, it's another decision, it's another lock onto something, and letting our brain focus and our emotions have to feel, and we are not capable. We're not capable of handling that many decisions a day. It's causing our engines to literally explode, and then what do we do to fix it? We do it more. And so they're just causing decision fatigue, causing over levels of stress and anxiety and difficulty, our inability to sit still, our inability to feel entertained, right? All these things. And then they promote political and social extremes. And they do this extreme to excite anger and trigger response because the more triggering, the more views, the more hits. They're doing everything they possibly can with your information, your mood, your facial expressions, and more to simply keep you on your phones and monetize you for profit. They are degrading and tarnishing image bearers of God, male and female, to catch your eye for the sake of a click. They're filling your mind with information, but mainly useless, and laughs while you distract yourself from true character virtues and discipline and work that would facilitate that. They're never promoting you for less, for peace, for pace, for slowing down, for prioritizing the right things. How can you be at peace when the second you wake up, you're at war, and the last hour before you go to bed, you're at war? Well, I mean, what? who does that? We all do. It's crazy. I do it. I'm, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Talking about peace up here when 80% of my day is consumed with something that will give me nothing but war and chaos, it's silly. I feel incapable of being up here. Because Jesus brings us peace, but he also picks us up and he says, walk behind me. And we've been picked up and we are walking in whatever direction we want. We have, our heads are so far down, we don't even know if we're walking behind Jesus anymore. And so us as a church, this is a very like, uh, crazy thing. This week, we're, I was, you know, I'm in this dark hole. <laughs> and uh, we have a staff meeting on Wednesday and, and we don't even, it's not even on the agenda. We just start talking about peace and whatever. And we start talking about social media, we start talking about just our lives and where we're at and it got into this long, beautiful conversation about how we basically were just like, enough is enough. And we just, we couldn't, we couldn't, we were tired of just feeling helpless and frustrated and angry about feeling frustrated and angry about the things they're feeding us. And so we created this thing and um, we're revealing it today. It's called The Quiet Year. And I'm going to read what we wrote because the words I think are better than me just kind of ad-libbing it here. So I'm going to read exactly what it says. 
It says, as a church community, we have felt the increasing danger and unhealth that comes from the pace, priorities, and products that come from social media and overall phone addiction. We believe that these tools are at the point where their negatives are far outweighing their positives. Our community has always been dedicated to the freedom and restoration found in Christ and his church, and it is not an understatement to say that more than 95% of our community is experiencing some form of serious addiction or negative effect from social media and the overall speed we find ourselves running. There are countless people today battling lust and sexual addiction, body image, jealousy, anger, shopping addiction, and much more. Therefore, we feel at our church's conviction and call to honor the spirit of Paul's thoughts in 1 Corinthians 8 that we're going to abstain from all forms of social media in solidarity with those who are trying to find true peace and freedom for their emotional and mental health and well-being, and at the same part, their soul. We believe that with the removal of social media and other compulsive addictions related to our phones and overall pace, we will create an environment which will distill down the quality and depth of relationships and will allow us to actually pursue a life of non-anxiousness, peace, and ultimately presence and deep joy. This decision as a whole has been agreed upon by our entire staff, and we are each dedicated to this practice for the entirety of 2024. This commitment is structured on four components. The first is a complete disengagement with our social medias and any addictive phone applications, including our church accounts. Number two, a heavy focus on the practice of a weekly Savor Day or Sabbath for the entire year. Number three, the participation in our communal and monthly quiet practices, which we will create for the replacement of the void that screen time is causing. Number four, planning and implementing some form of a spiritual solitude retreat for each of us personally in 2024. Lastly, we acknowledge the reality of this decision and this commitment especially to regards in our church and community experience the potential negative effects, which might be being out of the loop, being broadly disconnected, potentially socially irrelevant, both as a person and as a church. However, through our Google chat platform and other opportunities, website, things like that, we want to curate and uh, content, and we believe that we could actually foster a deeper, more robust, and meaningful community, which will actually provide peace. It will provide an environment for Jesus to provide change in our lives, freedom, deeper quality relationships, and while producing the most important goal, which is a deeper and more rich abiding relationship with him. Ultimately, we know this to be true. This is an adage from Hannah. Uh, This year commitment will only provide a better, higher quality pace and presence for our relationships, and we believe that it's worth it. We also believe that there can be, that we believe the good will always outweigh the bad in this commitment. So, that's what we're doing. Uh, we got two weeks to get ready. We are as, making every effort to enter into this rest. There's a lot of loose ends I'm tying up on all my social medias. There's things that I will not be able to use and take advantage of because of this. My life will be harder in some areas because of this. However, I'm at the point in my life with two daughters, one on the way with a family with a pastor. I have been tempted more in this last month on social media than I ever have in my life, and I am tired of it. And I will not allow myself to succumb to the devil's schemes because I am worried about. Facebook Marketplace was my, I love Facebook Marketplace. (laughs) It sounds silly, but that's, like we're giving up things like that. We're giving up knowing about shows. We're giving up being informing. There's other ways you can do that. But I mean, we are giving up something. But I refuse to let sin continue to fester in my life because I'm not willing. And, um, and I want, I know solidarity has power. We have a fasting group that's been really great because of that solidarity. 
And so we are asking each of you, there is no guilt. We are not making you do this. We are not going to think less of you if you don't do it. I understand some of you like are logistically like, I have a job in social media, or I have this, or whatever. I get it. You can iron all that out. But we are asking you to engage as a community in a quiet year, and we promise we will create a space for us to still be known, to be in community, and I think have a far richer and greater and more peaceful life of Jesus. So if you're interested, you can scan the QR code. We got, um, I don't know, how many days? 15 days? 15 days until the end of the year, or 21 days, sorry, 21 days. So you got time to think about it. you got time to prep. We're in the process of creating those, the, the four components, like ironing those out a little more, more practically for you to understand. Um, but man, you want peace for your soul, that's great, but you want peace. You want shalom. You want people to be just like, man, I want that. This is a step in that direction, and uh, I want to walk behind my rabbi. I don't just want him to pick me up. And so... Um, I encourage you guys to take time to reflect on that and pray on that. I know it's serious, and I know it's hard, and there's already things that we're lamenting that we will not be with this next year. So uh, I'm, I'm doing something that's just as hard for me, I'm sure it's for you. Um, so this brings us into a time of formation. Uh, there's four things we always do. One of them, reflect on this, sure, and, and process that. I think processing the idea of Jesus being our spiritual peace, also our physical peace, what that looks like. Uh, but we also have people in the back who'd love to pray for you about this. I actually think that there's a very real reality that some of us need to just bring before sin and confession before the Lord of social media and what it's done to us uh, and the ways in which we've allowed it to take our spirit of goodness and of truth and of righteousness and, and just be just filtered through evil and just malice and anger and hate. Um, and, and there's people in the back who'd love to pray for that with you anonymously and, and encourage you in that, bring that before the Lord. We also have the Lord's Supper, bread and cup up in the front and the back, grape juice and gluten-free bread. And that's just a reminder of Jesus' body and his sacrifice as the ultimate high priest being made once and for all for us. And we can partake in that and we can approach confidently the throne of grace and receive that. We also have a box in the back for giving and bringing. We believe that everything that we have is God's and that we are called to give back some of that as worship and faith and obedience. So you can do that. Uh, and then lastly, yeah, we're just going to give you some space to process this. I am very aware of the reality of this. Uh, we we just got a bunch of new people on our social media team, and I had a fun meeting with Maddie a few days later. I was like, hey, about the social media, it's done. Um, <laughs> no, they're going to they're gonna pivot. They're going to post some good content on our um, community, like our community feed, and make people in the loop and photos and things like that. We're not just like, not just going to care about that. But, um, man, I just, I know it. Your lives are chaos. My life is chaos. And I want to surrender to Jesus, and I'm letting things take control of me that shouldn't be. So I want to put it all before Jesus. So we'll give you some time to process that, and then we're going to close in one more song. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.